Hunter Henry of the LA Chargers, and you're listening to the Full 10 Yards Podcast. Hey, we're rolling, we're rolling. We fly all day Stay tuned, man. We got something special for y'all today. You're listening to the Full 10 Yards Podcast. To the 10, right to the 5, scooting in for the score. Touchdown. Yes, welcome in that one and all. This is the full ten yards podcast. I really love that intro. That that countdown. That's 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 so nice. That just gets me in the mood. Gets me in the mood. Even after last night's atrocities, but we'll get to them in a minute. Um, yep, Super Bowl is all uh, is all done and dusted. We now have seven months of hibernation in terms of action on the NFL field. Uh, but we're going to break down a uh, recap of all the all the action from the last sixty minutes of the NFL season, and we're also going to have a little snippet into obviously some awards the night previous uh, and talk about uh, the, those results and any maybe any contention uh, there. But uh, let's welcome in the boys into the huddle. Uh, Mr. Sean Blundell, uh, someone who enjoyed the, the game last night, uh, mainly because of the appreciation for the Tampa Bay defence. But um, Sean, I, I know you're, you're, you're tired uh, this evening. You're, you're struggling a little bit. Yeah, that, that's, that's the one disadvantage of having a new job, my friend. I can pay for my mortgage, but unfortunately I can't book any time off at the moment because I'm on training, so, you know, swings and roundabouts, I suppose. But, uh, yeah, good game. Um, certainly a dominant display, which we'll get to. And, yeah, like you say, for slightly quirky reasons, I quite enjoyed it, to be fair. I thought it was a good watch. Yeah, talking of new jobs, there is—I uh, don't know if there'll be a vacancy at the tackle position for the Kansas City Chiefs, but we'll get to that a little bit later on. Uh, Kieran, uh, whilst you're used to uh, watching, obviously Patriots in the, in the, the last week of the NFL season, um, watching Brady to Gronk for six times for however many sixty odd yards and and two touchdowns, it just brought the Patriots feel to the to the game, didn't it? Oh, just it was pain. That's all I could feel last night watching those two link up. Absolute pain. And um, obviously, Lawrence, you are a big fan of obviously the retro side of things, the historic side of things. Uh, so there's obviously plenty for you to salivate over, and no doubt, in a couple of years' time, or you know, decade or two decades, years' time, you'll you'll gladly look back back on the legacy that uh, Tom Brady has, has his footprint that he's left on the on the NFL. Yeah, I mean, it's just absolutely incredible. We were having the the goat debate the other week, and just saying off air to Kieran that. Yeah, I have to I have to relent now to be the first quarterback to win a Super Bowl for two different conferences is just something that has never been achieved before. We could we we will and no doubt Kieran will, will kind of, you know, be need to be restrained from doing this podcast when we do a a complete Brady podcast where we just talk about all of his feats and it will probably be a a 2-hour special. So yeah, unbelievable. Just one one little shout out to um, a guy who we haven't spoken about for about a month, um, which Kieran has just reminded me kind of when we were in the chat beforehand, and that's Taylor Heineke, who actually had a better performance against that Bucks defense in the wild card round than Patrick Mahomes did in the Super Bowl. Heineke went for over 300 yards and 40 yards on the ground, and he threw a touchdown, and he ran for a touchdown. So I won't say any more, but, yeah, just, just extending a little bit of late-season love for, for Taylor Heineke. Before, yeah, we're absolutely uh, any Washington related and not, not, not surprised. But just before we get into the crux of the game, then um, obviously, the first time Mahomes has lost by double digits and the Chiefs scored nine points, ladies and gentlemen. Nine points. But since when do you ever say that about the Kansas City Chiefs? You didn't even score a touchdown. But anyway, um, how do we just get a quick round table? We're, obviously, it's a bit weird watching it at home. I assume everyone was at home watching it to the, uh, this year. And obviously, you can't have any Super Bowl parties and, unless you wanted a fine and all the rest of it. But was it, was it weird, Sean? watching it in your own home did you we obviously was it just you with any family members no only the family members i was uh trying to make sure i didn't wake up mate all tucked up in bed um not really much change for me that's what you get from having an eight-year-old and a four-year-old I've, I've kind of had to uh adjust to that over the uh, the last few years but uh fingers crossed mate next year we can uh, get together and have a, a good old party watching it. I was certainly very jealous of all of the uh, food boxes. Hickory certainly did themselves uh, a nice bit of trade this weekend by the looks of it in the NFL UK community. 
yeah absolutely and uh, anyone anyone that is watching then wants to comment in the comments box wherever you're watching youtube facebook and uh, and twitter let, let us know you know was it weird for you watching it in, on your own or did you watch it with your family obviously no one could go out so uh, anything that you learned about yourself watching it at home uh, rather than going out and getting pissed uh, yeah hit, go hit, hit us in the comments and we'll we'll post some of those but kieran obviously you're out in the states so things are a bit but, but, but i guess they get a bit different than it is over here in the uk um what, what do you normally do when you watch the super bowl do you normally go out to bars i know you've you've given us some anecdotes about previous uh, the previous falcons and patriots uh, <laughs> stories which you won't replicate now that's obviously for the off season but um yeah is it any different for you watching out in the states than it is over here um there's more places you can watch it out here of course especially just due to timing but uh stayed home this year stayed responsible and i discovered that crayola doesn't only make crayons they also make sweets that was what I discovered this Super Bowl. There you go. There you go. Crayola, Crayola also makes sweets. And uh, Lawrence, obviously, you've you've mentioned a couple of times that your, was your thirty fifth uh, Super Bowl that you you've watched. Obviously, it's not going to rank up there in terms of spectacles and 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 action and and you know tenseness as it gets into the fourth quarter. But uh, anything that differently you've done this year to previous years? Well, for for probably about the first twenty twenty five years, I'd a I'd a very very set ritual. I'd get a, a bag of normal M&Ms, a bag of peanut M&Ms, and what was a marathon. So you guys, you guys are that that young that you won't remember when it when a when a Snickers bar was called a marathon. Mm. But back, back in the hey, day, hey, hey. How, how old do you think I am? I'm not. I'm not. I'm not 22. <laughs> so so back in the day, my my first ever Super Bowl that I watched, Super Bowl 21, back in in 1987, I had a I had a tray. And I, I put the M&Ms all around the edge of the tray and I had my one normal, it wasn't even king size, there wasn't even king size back then, normal normal Snickers bar, cut it up into little slices like a loaf of bread. I had a can of Pepsi because um, obviously I wasn't of a drinking age and that was, that was my ritual that lasted a long, long, long time. And then eventually I've given up pop, given up chocolate and this year I've actually given up bread and crisps. So I'm really, really trying so my tradition this year, kind of, I've started a new one. I had a, I had a bag of marshmallows, a bag of popcorn, and then at halftime, I just had a strong black coffee, and that was it. Other than that, it was, it was water. So nothing, Rock nothing to explain. Um, <laughs> but it was, um, you know, I, the one thing that I do, which, which I don't even tell my wife, is I, I get the, I get my kind of my armchair and kind of move it all the way across the living room and stick it dead in front of the tv so i'm like one inch away from the tv and then i have to move it all back as if nothing's happened before i fall asleep on the sofa so yeah it, it was it was a funny game I, I actually preferred this super bowl to the last one because i just i just admired that defensive performance and and the buccaneers just never broke they never broke and that that interception at the end i think that will make that brings that the legacy absolutely to life for this 2020 Buccaneers team that they didn't concede a touchdown. They did they did a step better than their 2003 predecessors who yeah they absolutely kicked the Raiders ass but they they allowed 21 points. So let's just let's just admire what an achievement this is and the Bucks are now 2 and 0 in Super Bowl. So it's not all about Tom Brady. I, 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 we need to bring this back to the team, and I think we need to we need to celebrate the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, um, mm. and then everybody after that. Yeah, and I say that we'll we'll get into maybe the reasons why uh, the Bucks defense were so uh, so frigid and and some some of the reasons for that. And I, I also read a stat somewhere that uh, Jason Pierre-Paul was eight and zero in in, in playoff games, which is uh, quite astonishing to to be quite honest. Eight and zero in in postseason games. I mean, that's not the best, that's not the worst record to have, is it? Um, but yeah, so um, we'll we'll get to to that that shortly. But uh, Sean, there were some other uh, other reasons before the uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers kind of shut down. Um, I had teammate half of eight, half of Aldi. I did dirty fryers in Aldi. I didn't, didn't quite agree with me in the, whilst I was watching them, but there we go. Um, yeah, obviously the first half, Sean, um, before the in the the second half where the Tampa Bay Buccaneers did uh, kind of shut shut up shop and and say did not let them into the end zone uh, in, in terms of scoring a touchdown. Uh, the Kansas City Chiefs kind of 
uh, shot themselves in the foot for, for, for quite a number of plays uh, in the first half with, with penalties, obviously, you know, leading to Bucks points and extending drives uh, for, for Tampa Bay. Um, just, do you want to maybe just talk us through kind of how the first the first half went for Kansas City and how it kind of, even from the outset, wasn't wasn't looking good in terms of prospects of, of winning their back-to-back Super Bowls? Yeah, I think everything that could have gone wrong pretty much did, didn't it? Let's be completely honest. I think, you know, it, the tone was set really from the, the first drive of the game. You know, you had Mahomes scrambling um, on a couple of design pass plays where nobody was open and he bailed out to the left-hand side on both of those occasions. That actually ended up leading to a, a 49-yard field goal. And that, you know, little did we know at the time, that would be the only time that the Chiefs actually held a lead in this game. Um, it was just a, a, a challenge the whole game for them. And we'll, we'll get on to the second half and and some of the Chiefs' offensive struggles in a little bit. But in terms of the penalties, it was just so un-Andy Reid team-like, wasn't it? Um, just a complete lack of discipline. Um, lots and lots of, of chatter um, after plays, people getting involved in things that they didn't need to get involved in. Um, you know, lots of finger wagging and pointing. And, you know, ultimately, I think, you know, let's face it, the books really just dished it out to them. And Kansas City just really didn't like it. You know, was there some questionable calls? Look, let's be honest. You could make an argument in terms of some of the holding calls. Would they have been called the other way around? Have they been called the other way around? Ultimately, by the letter of the law, was it a reasonable call? I would say from the replays that I've seen on the on the crucial holding call, I would say that it probably was. Um, the pass interference one, I think the one in the back of the end zone, is that ball catchable? I'd probably say no, it wasn't. Um, I think it was debatable that it was pass interference anyway. It could have certainly been illegal contact down the field, but that obviously would have been a yardage penalty as opposed to a spot foul. Um, and then obviously you had the big one right at the end of the half after the Chiefs had tried to get a little bit aggressive, tried to get Patrick Mahomes the ball back and tried to get some sort of momentum going into the second half. You know They were trailing by eight points at that stage had the books at a, a third and two situation, about 45 seconds there or thereabouts on the game clock. And they opted to take a timeout, um, which obviously hindsight's always 2020, isn't it? But, you know, that obviously allowed the books to convert that. And lo and behold, you know, a couple of penalties later and, you know, the books cash in with a further seven points before the half. Um, you know, at 7-3, the Chiefs um, restricted Tampa Bay to a field goal, but then one of the linemen lined up off sides. It, it was just an absolute disaster. And look, you saw it all over Twitter last night. Because it's Tom Brady, there was a load of people out there, oh, the refs are in his pocket as usual. And I'm sorry, it's just, it's just a lazy, lazy take. The Chiefs were their own worst enemy yesterday. They've been a little bit handsy throughout the postseason and have gotten away with it. Doesn't mean two rungs make a right. You know, you could argue that they got away with some calls in earlier rounds that they shouldn't have got away with. I'm obviously thinking of one in particular, and we all know which one that is, but I'm not bitter at all, so we'll quickly move on from that. Um, you know, for me, the best team, well, look, we're talking specifically the first half and the Kansas City penalties here. The best team in the first half, the most physical team in the first half, were the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and the Chiefs couldn't handle it. They lost the discipline. And ultimately, they paid the price because of that. Um, you know, I don't think they can have too many complaints about most of the calls, if I'm being completely honest. I thought they were all really warranted, potentially, like I say, with the, the Mike Evans PI in the back of the end zone, the only one. But I still think it was a penalty. It was just the wrong penalty that was called. I still ultimately think that the books were getting some yardage and, and the clock stoppage and all the rest of it. And it probably would have just meant... Brady to Antonio Brown from four yards instead of from one yard. I think, you know, I think ultimately it probably didn't change anything in the grand scheme of things, mate. Mm, I mean, I, I, yeah, I, I agree, uh, and I'm not, I'm not saying for one instance that the, the rest were the reason the Chiefs lost this game. They 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 lost because they were awful, and the, the Bucks were by far the better team. They couldn't, even, you know, the Chiefs didn't even score a touchdown in the game, regardless of of penalties. Penalties are mainly on the on the defense, so you know, defense is you know. I know they scored touchdowns, but they don't score touchdowns if you if you know what I mean. But um, you know, it was a, it was a twenty two point game at the end of the day, and even if the the calls that were made, and I'll come to them shortly, um, it still would have been a double digit loss by the Chiefs. Um, I just think that there's 
a, a sequence of events, you know, to, in the back of the end of the of the second quarter, where you know it all started with that Tommy Townsend punt, didn't it? He had hit an absolute beamer, but then you know there was a holding call. Then you know they retake the punt, and it only goes twenty nine yards. And then you know the next drive, Brady has an interception call back on a. I would say that's a question. It was a questionable holding call, personally. Um, so that interception possibly could have stood. Um, and then, even, you know, like I say, on the suck-up made field goal, um, you know, is it Miko Hardman or, or Hamilton or whatever his name was, was, yeah, again, I, I think the issue that the people are having is in, in a season where they've let everything go or they've let them play, especially in the postseason, to then rack up the yardage in penalties. You know, the Kansas City Chiefs had the most penalty yardage in the first half of a game all season of all season long uh, I, think, I, I can't recall how much it was but I know it was by far the most in any game called this season so I, I think that that's where a bit of beef is I agree that the you know most of them were it, normally will be called and you can't you can't argue with them and Tony Romo despite his best efforts just says that they're penalties it's just the issue that they haven't really been calling them as much as they have done in previous years um you know like I say the, the, the suck up may feel goal that then converted into a first down the next play Gronk touchdown and you kind of felt that, that was it that was 14-3 like I say, that was already enough points for the Bucks. But what uh, in the timeouts prior to halftime, I think once Andy Reid made the first call on, on after the first down, after Fournette rushed for zero yards, he's kind of committed, pot committed anyway, uh, to use a poker term. Um, and then, yeah, like I say, the, it was just, yeah, it was kind of game over after that. But uh, Kieran, you know, another main reason why the Chiefs weren't able to, to come back in the second half was that defensive line of, of uh, Vietver and Duncan Sue, JP, JPP had a great game and Shaq Barrett had a great game as well. Um, they just didn't let, um, you know, it was, like, it was kind of like watching um, the second second Lord, uh, Lord of the Rings, the, the attack on Isengard, wasn't it, with the Orcs all lining up on the wall. Um, getting getting through to Brady, but it literally Mahomes was uh, running running for his life. Yeah, he. The interesting stat is he actually covered over five hundred yards before he yeah. got a ball out or got sacked last night, which is, you know, those stats are only normally reserved for punt returners when they're zigging and zagging. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was crazy, and the the Bucks did what I was screaming at the Browns to do and screaming at the Bills to do when they played the chick. Just send four. At least four, because then you can cover the middle of the field and you can cover the seams. They did it perfectly. Sometimes they sent five. Patrick, look, I'm not going to like crap all over this offensive line. They were missing two key pieces. Two of their best starters are out, and that definitely hurt them. But Bucks, man, they just played a perfect game defensively. They gave up a penalty, which I thought was just, you know, I'm all for shithousery. So when uh, Antron Winfield Jr found Tyreek Hill, got right in his face. That's the best penalty you could give up. That was fantastic. I love that because I hate Tyreek Hill. So seeing him, you know, get clowned on a little bit was just perfect for me. But yeah, this this Bucks defensive line is scary. Vita Vea coming at fullback, which really just showed how much power he has. 350 pounds of absolute... Was he from Hawaii? I don't know. He looks like Moana and he runs dudes over. <laughs> it was fantastic to watch him last night on that. He, you know, he's a great nose tackle. And then you have Dominican Sue, who, you know, kind of on the end of his career. But if you're a college football fan, you remember what he did. He almost won a Heisman as a defensive tackle. Do you know how crazy you've got to be and dominant at that position to be in the Heisman debate? So, yeah, they just absolutely. Look, Patrick Mahomes looked like he was scared after those first few drives they had, and they were just barreling down on him, play after play after play. That's why I feel sorry for Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Poor guy's five foot one or whatever he is, two two hundred pounds, and he had to run into monsters every single play. But they didn't have the linemen; they couldn't get the gaps up for him. They just could not hold the Bucks. They were just look. Patrick Mahomes was scared. Like you, you saw as a play late in the game, he got driven face down into the turf and he come up with turf in his helmet. He looked like Tony Romo and it was, he looked not, oh. no, no shade on Tony Romo, but there's a very famous play of Tony Romo digging turf out of his helmet. So yeah, you can't as good as Patrick Mahomes was. And look, I'm all for ribbing on the guy, but he had the most impressive throw last night. It wasn't caught, but it was a very impressive throw. Because as you know, I teach mechanics 
and not car mechanics. I mean, quarterback mechanics. The first thing I teach is footwork. So when he throws a bomb with no feet, come on, man, it's ridiculous. So yeah, just that, that people, I've been saying this all season. I have told you guys every single game of the season, send for, leave everyone else in coverage. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's an interesting point. I, I, said, it's, I, I managed to find some stats on, obviously, Todd Bowles' defence is one that does that to bring pressure, and obviously Todd Bowles didn't do it as much in this one. He didn't do it in the in the, uh, the the game in the regular season either, but he only sent he only sent six blitzes, six blitzes out of 61 defensive plays, which is, what, 10%, uh, and then three of them were on third down, uh, and half of the blitzes, so three of the blitzes were actually in the first quarter. Uh, and like I say, you just saw Mahomes running for his life, he'd say 500 yards running, pirouetting you know it's, it's kind, of, kind of like watching Strictly Come Dance I thought Jason Bell was out there but um, you know for the, the Bucks defence to generate over half of Patrick Mahomes' snaps uh, generating pressure uh, and he's, he, obviously he had his, his limp returned and his foot you know, his foot obviously was under a lot of duress but um, you know the Bucks defence didn't allow a big play they had two deep safeties and you know, the, the broadcasting team were, were quite uh yeah, annoyingly, just keep uh, bringing it up every play and saying how far back that the, the safeties were. And like I say, if you can get pressure with just four, it allows you to to bracket Kelsey. It allows you to bracket or oh, keep Kelsey under the middle and can't go any deep routes. And it allows you to bracket Kelsey to his paltry returns that he had. Um, but Lawrence, any any other any other moments for you uh, that, that that were key to the game? Yeah, tons, absolutely tons. I think Carlton Davis. The redemption story is is one we haven't spoken about after getting um, murdered in front of a live audience to then <laughs> restrict Tyreek Hill to next to nothing. You know, we talk about Winfield trolling him, <laughs> that, which was a classic moment. But what Carlton Davis managed to do throughout that game in terms of restricting Hill was was just incredible stuff. And and let's let's just talk about the Buccaneers running game. This is you know we're we're kind of we're in an era now where it's the kind of the conventional thing in a Super Bowl is that quarterback goes three hundred yards plus, and and the kind of the the running game is a little bit secondary. But I had I had two kind of ten dollar lineups in DraftKings, and Leonard Fournette was my captain in one of them. And I thought this was going to start to pay off, but I, unfortunately, I didn't have have Gronk in any of my slots, so that that screwed my teams. But that running game, I think, was was it was needed. It was a case that everybody had to do their jobs. Everybody had to contribute. If you look at Brady's actual stats, aside from the three touchdowns, he only he only just scraped over two hundred yards. So he was relying on that running game and. And Fournette, again, four catches. And the, all four of those catches were critical catches that, that maintained drives. And then, yet again, um, Fournette's touchdown matched the kind of the NFC Championship touchdown in terms of kind of impact that it had. And I, it, it if only that play would have been snapped from inside the 10 and you could have seen Fournette rumbling for like a... 85 yard touchdown because no one was going to catch him it's one of those plays where there was just no one there the the blocking was just incredible and and another storyline for me Tristan Wirfs rookie offensive tackle rookie offensive tackle you know you don't often get you you look at the kind of history of like you know early drafted tackles quite a lot of them either go they go on to injured reserve or they don't have any impact as a rookie and and they're kind of you know they they don't mature quick enough. Tristan Wirfs was has been relied on, mm-hmm. and Tom Brady must have a lot of faith in Tristan Wirfs in terms of that running game, in terms of him blocking. So again, another another big storyline there. We could go on. I mean, we I think we're going to come on to kind of MVPs and stuff like that. So I'll, I'll save kind of a bit of the conversation there. But yeah, just just incredible incredible team performance. I really really appreciated watching this and it it felt like a, a legacy Super Bowl and I, I really enjoyed that kind of I was left with a bit of a weird taste in my mouth after the last Super Bowl because essentially the Chiefs didn't play brilliantly for that game they just played brilliantly for six minutes the 
in this game, the Buccaneers, aside from the very first drive of the game, that was it. Other than that, they they executed for you know fifty eight minutes. Hmm. One thing, one, one, no, one thing I would I would do want to point out just with uh, obviously play, we had Super Bowl Lenny and playoff Lenny or whatever kind of Lenny you want to call him, but I was saying to Sean uh, a couple of hours ago that um, I, I think you, you have to question Andy Reid's uh, play calling a little bit. Um, you know, the first the first couple of drives wasn't a run to be seen all over uh, anywhere. Um, they just seem to just forget that they had a run game. And if you look at like Clyde Edward Tellez's stats, they actually ran the ball pretty well. And like, I'm again, I'm no offensive line coach or I'm no offensive coordinator, but it's a lot easier for an offensive lineman to block or to, to do what they're required to do when they are in in, um, in run blocking because they are the aggressor. They are going forward. Uh, it's so much harder for when someone's coming at you to to pass protect because you're you're being reactive. You're not being the aggressor. You're not being proactive. And like I say, when they ran the ball, Club Abel had six, seven, eight yards per carry on however many carries he had. The Chiefs had two yards per carry. Yeah, the the Chiefs had got decent. Uh, they got decent yardage when they ran the, ran the ball and you know the, the scripted plays whatever they had. So I, I was a bit surprised. I know they opened up three pass plays, but it's almost if they kind of like, oh, we know the Bucks are going to stuff us on the ground, so let's not bother trying. Unless you know we'll do the old the adage of we'll, we'll use the pass to set up the run when it's usually the other way the other way around to set up play action. But I, I was just a bit surprised that considering the success they did have and however good the but the Bucks defense is, they were they were gaping holes there. Kieran obviously Club Edwards is a big uh, big LSU, LSU uh, person. So obviously, you've been singing his praises all year long. Um, what, what, what are your thoughts? They used him properly because mm. I said at the beginning of the season, Clyde is not a downhill runner. He's never been that guy. He hasn't got downhill speed. But last night, they used him perfectly. They ran him on gap plays, which is where you utilize his explosiveness. That's what he's good at. His lateral movement and his explosive hips and his low center of gravity. That's how he operates. And last night, the Chiefs said, okay, let's run him on gap plays. And look what it got him. I know it didn't get him a win, but it got 7.2 yards per carry. And mm. they could have ran with that a little bit more. Because every time they ran him on a gap play, he got wide open. He darted to the left or the right quicker than most guys can run forward and, and, and exposed the holes. And mm. the, the only problem the Chiefs had was the Bucks, the the linebackers would come in and seal gaps very, very quickly. So he could get five, six, sometimes 10 yards on a play, but the Bucks were coming in and sealing gaps very quickly, which is, funnily enough, what the Chiefs uh, know what the uh, Bucks offensive line was able to... Fournette played like he played at LSU. He was just running into dudes like he, he could have open space, but he'll still find a dude to hit. But the the Bucks weren't sealing those gaps uh, as well as they could moving on to the second level. But that's what they that's what the Chiefs, you know, they said, hey, he's good at gap plays. Let's do it. They did it in the first game of the season and the last game of the season. And they kind of hadn't used utilized him properly a lot through the rest of the season. They've been putting him on like stretches and power form runs and stuff. So I think if they just used him a lot more, they would have got a lot more yards and picked up a lot bigger first downs. It was, yeah, it, it was a strange one, I think, that they didn't... I don't know why they just completely abandoned giving Daryl Williams the ball because Daryl Williams, yeah, okay, we, we know he's he's not a, a superstar, but he, he's performed well when you know when he's been given the ball and he and he can catch out the backfield and what does he end up with two two rushes for five yards and and the the Chiefs' running game aside from Patrick Mahomes taking those first downs when they were available. And I don't think he wanted to run at all in the game. It's not like it's not like you kind of you're game planning him into run. It's yeah. just is there a window there? Is he going to get a first down and and keep a drive going by darting out for eight yards and and go to the sideline and avoid getting hit? Yeah, and I think he did that three or four times. But that that Chiefs running game only eleven carries for their running backs in the entire game. Eleven carries. That, that just doesn't win you games. We all know that. Yeah. So, Look how productive was with nine. Nine yeah. carries. That's yeah. ridiculous. Talking of talking of Patrick Mahomes running, do you know what he reminded me of when he was running? You know when you go to the beach and you take your socks, your shoes and socks off and you run down to the water and you, but you've got a <laughs> 
you've still got to negotiate all the all the stones and the string and the shingle as you get to this like, oh, oh, oh. that was just my moment, yeah. Um but yeah, just a point on, on Clyde Edwards Hilaire. There was a really good play where it showed him his quick sidestep and the, the right tackle whiffed on I don't know if two people were coming or if he didn't pick up the guy further to, to his right, but he just made I think it was Levante David or, or Pierre Paul or someone, I think it was Levante David, but just sidestep to the right and then away you go. Uh with with Clyde, which was really nice as well. But again, I, yeah, I, I don't know why they got away from the run. Um, so obviously, obviously, all done and dusted. Uh, you know, Tom Brady wins, and um, again, it's kind of a game like we like we've mentioned. It wasn't a game where Brady got a lot of yardage. There wasn't a, it wasn't a game where you heard Mike Evans' name called very often. Chris Godwin's name wasn't heard very often. Obviously, it was you know, six of six of his throws went to receptions went to uh, to Gronkowski. But Brady, um, Kieran, obviously, as a as someone that's used to seeing Brady take the MVP, not necessarily when he's always deserved it in the Super Bowls. Um, do you think he was deserving of MVP in this one? Um, uh, and obviously, just his performances as as, as a Tampa Bay, you know, it, it's difficult to transition to a new team um, when you, especially when you've been institutionalised in, in New England. But you know, he's, and I know the defense has been played a big part. But he's beaten Breeze, Rogers, and Mahomes in the playoffs. Um, you know, firstly, was he deserving of the MVP award? And what do you make of obviously how he's gone about his business in Tampa Bay? All I'm going to say about the MVP award is that it deserved to go to Devin White. He was by far the most productive and the scariest player on the field last night. Yeah, he was out of position, but, you know, I'm an LSU fan. I saw him coming in as a running back out of high school, and I saw him transition to a linebacker. And I said it last night in about 10 different group chats. He is going to be a Hall of Famer. If he continues playing like he is, he will go down as one of the greatest linebackers to ever play in this league. I do not doubt that. And that's not even LSU bias. But the way he played last night was phenomenal. I hope Brady buys the new horse to make up for the fact that he didn't get the MVP award. I will give credit to Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They had the latest bye week. They did not have a bye week until week 13. And you could see very early on in the season, Brady was finding it very tough to adjust to this system. We know every first year a quarterback has with Bruce Arians, they are not as productive. They throw more picks and things can generally be a bit of a problem. So all credit to him. But after what was what week did they play the Kansas City Chiefs? 12. 12, yeah. Didn't lose after that. After Tyreek Hill gave him this didn't take a loss I think that really motivated him we talk about all these things that happen in football and that the, the storylines that play out but things like that can really give a team a kick in the ass and I think it did for the Bucks. they said you know what we've got a shot of winning this thing let's go win it and yeah the Bucks have been phenomenal all season like I said Brady is 43 he has been in this game a long long time Patrick Mahomes was six when Brady was playing in his first Super Bowl. That That's how old this geezer is. And a geezer in America actually means old man. So I can just throw that out there. The American fans will get it. The British fans know too. He just, I think at this point, you've got to have him as the most successful athlete of all time. Even over Michael Jordan. He's going to, you know, transcend the game almost. And say what you want about ref schools and performances. When he gets to the big game, he performs. Even when he lost to the Eagles, he threw over 500 yards and broke a Super Bowl record. The, the guy just shows out time and time again. And the fact that he's done it in a new system? Come on, man. One thing I will say, just on Tom Brady, he's, he's really he's a really good Twitter follower. His Twitter game is pretty strong. I'm loving his Twitter game. He quote tweeted Tyreek Hill earlier and said something about quoted when he was saying, "Oh, why, why can't we get to seven? And Tom Brady tweeted that, and he goes, "He said the same thing." That's quite funny. But um, yeah, obviously on the other side, uh, Sean, obviously Patrick Mahomes, obviously it wasn't to be, be for him. Obviously hobbled, and uh, some of the plays he made. And we mentioned the obviously the one of the best throws, one of the best incomplete passes you'll ever see. Um, kind of. You know, sideways, kind of like a Madden glitch, wasn't it? Um, throwing it, just the accuracy, absolutely phenomenal. But uh, you know, you have to feel that Mahomes turned up. Mahomes couldn't have done any more. How good was Mahomes? And you know, what what will is, will he take enough positives from this game, if any? Because it's, it's going to sting. Obviously, a twenty-two defeat, twenty-two point defeat, in for a person that's not experienced a defeat like that since college. Um, yeah, to give give us a, your view, your views on Patrick Mahomes in this game. 
Yeah, I, I thought he was sensational. I've got to be honest. I, I, I disagreed with what Kieran was saying earlier about him being scared. I thought he was he was almost too fearless for his own good. I mean, I was actually sort of sitting there at points with seven, eight minutes left thinking, if I'm Andy Reid, I'm pulling him out of this game. He was just getting absolutely battered and he kept getting back up and he kept trying... Um, like you say, to scramble 500 yards before throwing balls just tells you all that you need to know. And I think the you know, the reason that Devin White didn't get the MVP award, I think, is that it was so difficult to pinpoint any one individual player on that Bucks defence. Some of the guys won't show up in the stat sheet, but they made Patrick Mahomes run around for 25 yards before tossing an incompletion. That doesn't show as a stat, but Vita Vea and Dominican Sue, Shaq Barrett, JPP, those four in particular, they were the four that were coming all game long. And Mahomes didn't whiff. He didn't shirk any responsibility. He was let down by some drops, which were uncharacteristic. I mean, that pass that, you know, you talk about the one that he was flying through the air. It actually hits, I think it was Demarcus Robinson square in the in the helmet. Um, if he catches that, it's a touchdown. I mean, I don't think it fundamentally changed anything. I think it was too late in the day by then. But, you know, that should have been a touchdown. He had a similar play in the first quarter without the theatrics in terms of him flying through the air, which was a similar incident that he hit the face mask of Tyreek Hill, which, again, if he comes down with that one, you know, we're potentially talking a different ball game, but everything was difficult for the Chiefs yesterday. Everything was difficult. And as brilliant as Patrick Mahomes is, and as brilliant as Tom Brady is, and as brilliant as any quarterback in history has been, if you get pressure on them, they're all as as vulnerable as each other. It's as simple as that. Nobody's good throwing a ball with somebody in their face. Nobody is good throwing a ball when you're running 15 yards backwards for the line of scrimmage. You know, some players can do it better than others. And Mahomes, you know, like I say, certainly, you know, left it all out there on the field yesterday. But he was just, he was essentially just dealt an impossible hand and he, he tried his best with the hand that he was dealt. I agree with everything that you guys said in terms of he could have got more support from a more balanced running game. I think, obviously, the scoreboard probably dictated that they went away from that. Ironically, it almost felt as though they you know, went to the run a little bit more in the second half in terms of Edwards Allaire getting some carries. But you know, the, the, the game was sort of out of reach by then, unfortunately, for them. Um, but, it, I mean, look, he's going to be back. You know, I don't think there's any doubt he's going to be back. Obviously, I think, you know, if I was... The Kansas City uh, front office, I'd be looking at everything I could possibly do to improve the depth along that offensive line. Um, you know, yes, obviously the two tackles were missing. You know, but let's be honest, Eric Fish has hardly been, um, you know, a superior left tackle. You know, I think he's improved throughout his career, but, you know, let's, let's be honest, it wasn't that long ago. We were talking about him being an absolute bust. Um, you know, but he certainly improved to become a serviceable tackle. Mitchell Swartz, I think, has been superb on the right-hand side. Um, but they obviously need depth along that line. Um, you know, they were so, so vulnerable without them yesterday. And it's one thing having the speed and the, the opportunity to take the top off the defence and having the quarterback with the arm strength to throw it there, but those routes take time to develop. And if he hasn't got the time allowed to let those develop, which he didn't have at all yesterday, um, and, and as the guys rightly said, you know, Travis Kelsey was essentially doubled on every single play that's normally his, his sort of outlet receiver. Um, you know, I think the blueprint has been set in terms of how you try and defend the Chiefs. You know, the Browns tried to do that, to Kieran's point, in the divisional round, but we just haven't got the players that the Bucks have. We certainly haven't got the speed at the linebacker position that the Bucks have. Um, but, you know, Mahomes will be back. I don't think he could have done any more. I thought he left everything that he had out there. Like I say, I actually think he, he, he should have actually been protected from himself, to be completely honest. I think there was there was that one hit where three of them converged on him. One went high, one went low, one hit him in the head. And you just sort of watch that play and wince because you know, the game felt like it was over, to be honest, at halftime. It just never felt like the Chiefs were going to come back in this. And I've been the Chiefs' biggest fan, you know that. And, you know, they normally fall behind double digits and you still think, oh, they'll turn this around because that's just what they do. Just didn't feel that way yesterday. 
Mm. But uh, yeah, look, he'll be back. I'm sure. Yeah, and like I say, when Travis Kelsey is dropping balls, um, you know, you know, the Kansas City Chiefs are in trouble. But yeah, just to encapsulate, it was a good stat with you know how ferocious that Bucks defense was, and with Mahomes running for his life, uh, um, they recorded twenty nine pressures on Patrick Mahomes, which I said is obviously over half the snaps. But he he had twenty five dropbacks of ten or more yards. That's unbelievable. To, to, to be, even before you even think about throwing ball, you've dropped back ten yards, and that, you know, again, that's like the difference between first and ten and second and twenty. Um, so that, that's just ab- absolutely, um, absolutely incredible yeah. performance. Yeah, and that's why, like I say, mate, that's that's for me why Devin White didn't get the recognition because he's the man that had the stats in terms of the tackles and he recorded the late interception. It's the guys that didn't get the stats that actually had the biggest influence on the game. Um, and that's the four guys up front. You know, yeah, I think they all registered at least half a sack, so they got something in terms of actual statistics. But like you say, you could have chalked up another. Well, you just said it there: twenty-nine negative plays. Essentially, that's what that front four generated yesterday. They were absolutely fabulous. Yeah. I, talk, uh, I talk about Ron Payne every week. I love that guy, and he's just a nose tackle who you know, gets that line to a position where other guys make plays. And that's what was happening last night. You've got Vita Varen and Dominican Sue, just two big dudes who can bully linemen, opening it up for everyone else. And, you know, they sort of have that Washington-esque front four where everyone's going to get something, even if it's not on the stat sheet. Yeah, and like I say, like Sean said, Mahomes um, no debt. Well, we, we assume he'll be back. But um, just a quick roundtable before we move on to um, some other um, other notes. So, if if you had to pick one of the two teams to return to next year's Super Bowl, who are you going for, Sean? It, it feels silly to abandon the Chiefs. Like I say, it, it was a bad night. It was a bad performance. But on the flip side of it, he said he's coming back. Why did we ever doubt Tom Brady? If he's coming back, he's only coming back because he thinks he can win it. If he thinks he can win it, who's going to stop him? Mm. So yeah. probably the Bucks. Lawrence? Yeah, definitely the Bucks. I've got a quick quiz question, a quick one. What do the touchdown scorers in Super Bowl 55 all have in common? Uh, they've all caught touchdowns from Brady and the Patriots. No, one was a rushing touchdown, remember. Okay. What they what they all have in common is that none of them were on the Buccaneers team last year, twenty nineteen. Yeah. So <laughs> it's it's fascinating, isn't it? That you've got the likes of Levante David, who hadn't been in a playoff game in his entire career, and it's I think it's his eighth or ninth season, and then you, you bring over the the guy who you think's going to potentially have a, a meltdown in the on the 50-yard line at any point in time, Antonio Brown, um, fascinating guy. Then you've got Leonard Fournette, Reclamation Project, who, you know, is he a locker room issue? Well, turns out, no, he isn't. And and then Gronk, who was, they, they said it in the commentary, that he was part of a, a lineup of the, the 50th anniversary team or the 100th anniversary team, um, at the last Super Bowl, just kind of waving in his in his jeans and t-shirt and and doing a bit of WrestleMania, and then um, you know a year later they're all scoring in the Super Bowl. So I think the 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 thing that's going to interest me is are they going to manage to keep all these pieces? Because what normally happens at the end of a Super Bowl is there are people that their status and their kind of whatever it is gets gets kind of heightened you look at the likes of Dexter Jackson who was the previous Super Bowl MVP he went on to do nothing in his career um, after having an incredible game with the Buccaneers in the Super Bowl so you know it's can they keep all those pieces together if Brady's coming back then people are going to just simply want to be on that team so yeah just uh, I, I think the Buccaneers are in a in a great position to do this. They've they've got a sensible amount of draft picks, so you know they can they can do things. And if if you're continuing to to pick up people like Tristan Wirfs to go along with all of these these veterans and these projects, and you've got Bruce Arians who just kind of nobody's got a bad word to say about him. 
not not anybody's got a bad word to say about him. And then there he is, um, you know, being interviewed at the end at the end of the Super Bowl on the podium, and he, he just goes, "It's got nothing to do with me." It's kind of you know, I, I've I've had nothing to do with this. Of course he has. But the way he's just kind of self-deprecating and just said it's it's my assistant coaches, it's Todd Bowles, it's Byron Leftwich, it's it's the players, you know, just he's going to endear himself even more to those players, and they're just going to be desperate to want to want to repeat. And and again, we just we, we haven't talked about it, but yeah, again, we carry on. We're almost coming up to twenty years now where no team has repeated, and the Chiefs now have two quarterbacks that have both been to two Super Bowls and are both one and one Len Dawson and Patrick Mahomes now are one and one in Super Bowls, whereas the Buccaneers have a big zero in the loss column in terms of Super Bowls. So, yeah, yeah, he's worth pointing out. Every, every bullet that they acquired in to put into their chamber were, was pretty much golden gun stuff, wasn't it, in GoldenEye? But um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how many they keep because, let's say, the Patriots have been notorious for people trying to pick apart their teams, their Super Bowl winning teams. If you, if you think about it, not just coaches, but, but players as well. But that's that's one maybe one for the uh, for the off season. But uh, Kieran, obviously, um, are you going Bucks as well, going full sweep? Yeah, I think next year's Super Bowl will leave be either Browns or Bills versus the Buccaneers and I think it will be a way more interesting game. I could have put, I could have put money on you saying that. But uh, all right, I'll go I'll go contrary. I'll say the Chiefs go back for a third straight and um the Buccaneers the Buccaneers some find somehow find a uh, What's it? Super Bowl hangover is the word term I'm looking for. Um, right, just before we then move on to the end of end of season awards recap, um, just any any appreciation or any nods that anyone wants to put out there. I'll start off with uh, Sarah Thomas, obviously the down judge, making history, the first woman uh, to officiate, obviously part of the Super Bowl crew. Obviously, yeah, inspiration and the stories is, is great, and it's good that I think there's obviously there was a couple of coaches for the Buccaneers as well that uh, were a part of obviously a winning team. So it's good, it's good to see. I know it, it kind of goes against. Um, being stigmatised because we are mentioning it, but yeah, again, these are, it's forward progress, pro- progress that we're making. And again, uh, we mentioned it on the on the quiz last week, or Hannah mentioned it, saying you know hopefully one day it won't be a story that it is, but at the moment it, it, it still is. So just an appreciation to to Sarah Thomas, who um, you yeah, know down judge. Uh, whilst obviously he's not a head ref, maybe one day we will have a, a head official. And uh, you know, you say we're going in the, in the right direction. So Sean, any, anyone anyone want to say any appreciation for anyone in particular? From the Super Bowl? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was actually going to say the head ref. But this is for all the virgins who keep commenting she belongs in the kitchen and stuff like that. We don't need that in this sport. You're the guys holding the sport back and you're the reason a lot of NFL fans have a bad reputation. This sport is for everyone. And I applaud the females getting involved in the game in coaching in refereeing, and even Sarah Fuller down in Vanderbilt kicking field goals and stuff like that. We need more women in this game. This can't just be a male-orientated sport. It might be males on the field, but this game is for everyone to enjoy. Shout out to people like Nia on Twitter as well. Uh, I don't know what her Twitter handle is offhand, but she's another person really pushing for more women to enjoy this game, and that's what should be happening. If the same people who are opposed to women in the game are the same people who are angry that black people were playing quarterback 30 years ago. So big shout out to that female ref coming in. We need more women in this game. Uh, NFL Nia. Uh, NFL with Nia is the uh, Twitter handle for Nia. Yeah, very much. Fair. I recommend you follow. You'll see a bit of her without trying to give away too much. You'll see quite a lot of her during the summer. But uh, yeah, yes. Ice peeled on that one. Lawrence? Just keeping on, yeah, on that female theme. I still haven't given up on that interview with. Um, <laughs> it will happen, I swear to God. I'm going to make it my off-season mission to do so. Um, just wanted to give it's a slightly sideways one, but I just wanted to give um, give a kind of little round of applause to Mark Chapman. Um, I don't know how you guys watch the Super Bowl. Obviously, Kieran, you were watching it on on network TV. Um, Tim, Sean, who? What did you end up watching it on? Game Pass. I had, a bit of, I, had a, I had a bit of a flick around everything. I'll let you make your point because I want to make a point on the broadcasting myself. So you, <laughs> you make your point on Chappers, mate. Okay. Well, I just thought it was great to see Chappers. Um, I know he's kind of come, he stepped out of the, the NFL arena, so it was great. I've got total admiration in terms of Mike Carlson. Mike Carlson, to me, is is the goat of all 
commentators that we've ever had in in NFL UK history with coach Jeff Reinbold a very close second so I was I was it was really great and and OC and Jason they're just they're just two fun characters to have um so I I did the BBC coverage I couldn't care less what adverts or what Budweiser have done in terms of their corporate social responsibility don't I don't give a damn so I just enjoyed the the BBC coverage and it's just a shame they don't get more than the Super Bowl so yeah shout out to Chappers and the and the BBC production crew yeah my my point on broadcasting was just I thought everybody did a brilliant job in their own different ways yesterday I thought it was just an excellent production I thought Dallas Clark on Sky was absolutely brilliant he brought a great energy with Cliff Averill in the stadium uh, like you said, the BBC coverage was great. I thought the the NFL pre-game build-up with Rich Eisen and obviously a shout-out to, to Chris Westling, rest in peace, to the mailman. Um, obviously, sad news coming out over the weekend, but I thought that was really well handled and a touching tribute. And, and of course, everyone's favourite commentator was on the call yesterday, but he's not my favourite commentator. The favourite, My favourite commentator, the GOAT of the commentary box was in the radio broadcast. And, boys, this is how you commentate on the biggest play of the Super Bowl. 5.03 to go. Someone has run on the field. Some guy with a brawl. And now he's not being chased. He's running down the middle of the 40. Arms in the air and a victory salute. He's pulling down his pants. Put up your pants, my man. Pull up those pants. He's being chased to the 30. He breaks a tackle from a security guard. The 20, down the middle, the 10, the 5. He slides at the 1, and they converge on him at the goal line. Pull up your pants, take off the bra, and be a man. And the players with hands on hips at the other end of the field are looking at him and shaking their head and saying, why, oh, why? Is this taking place in a Super Bowl? Brilliant. Absolutely that brilliant. Ladies, that, ladies and gents, is how you commentate. How Kevin Harlan is not the lead man at CBS, I will never, ever know. I love every time I get to watch a game with Kevin Harlan. He's absolutely fantastic. And that one, obviously, the uh, the CBS broadcast went to commercial and all the rest of it. But obviously, with the joys of uh, someone filming that on Twitter, dubbing Kevin Harlan's... Uh, Radio commentary on top. I just thought that was a brilliant play, fellas. So yeah, I, 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 even, first, even the even the streaker got in the end zone yesterday. When I first heard that, and obviously I know it's dubbed over because it's pictures and, and audio. I thought someone dubbed over it as a joke and as a parody. I didn't realise that was a live <laughs> that was a live call. And then, you know, someone just like took snippets of like loads of different parts of his broadcast and just patched it all together. <laughs> They're absolutely brilliant. Yeah, because yeah, it's 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 common that Kevin Harlan comes out with take that bra off your man in his NFL commentary, isn't it, Tim? Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, that was uh, yeah, certainly certainly a highlight. I did uh, I did get a few uh, leaps for on the on the old watches? Um, okay, that's obviously the Super Bowl. That's obviously all the performances and all the shoutouts that we want to do. But obviously, the day prior, there are a few more shoutouts. A bit more formal in terms of shoutouts in terms of the end of season awards recap. Um, so we'll just run through some of these obviously Lawrence you are our retro guy uh, obviously the uh, the Hall of Fame uh, inductees or the uh, people enshrined to the Hall of Fame obviously were part of the uh, ceremony yesterday you know, Peyton Manning Charles Woodson amongst others uh, were obviously inducted this year just a quick minute or two on, on your thoughts on the people obviously that were inducted and I saw a couple of videos on how they were informed obviously Peyton Manning I think was at Denver Stadium and people came out and all the rest of it and, uh, but you just want maybe want to give a, a minute or so recap and an honour to to those guys that have uh, now become part of your your sphere shall we say yeah, I think I, I think we'd touch on Peyton Manning because I think he's did he's done a great service for the NFL and he's also done a great service for the military as well because he, he actually rented out his forehead as an aircraft carrier. So you know it's it's been it's been with room to spare. Uh, exactly. To spare. Exactly. So you know we call it, we call it frigate. If there's ever a third world war, they can just, you know, they can just launch all the planes from his forehead. No, seriously, I mean, he deserves it. He's got two rings. Um, fantastic job. Alan Fanica, the guard, 
um, ugly, ugly kind of position to play offensive guard. Give the guy some credit for for what he's managed to do. Um, he toiled with the Steelers for a long time, won a Super Bowl, and then he went on to the Jets and he managed to get the Jets to an AFC Championship with Mark Sanchez. So if anyone deserves a, a nod in Canton for getting Mark Sanchez, you know, 60 minutes away from a Super Bowl, it's Alan Fanica. Tom Flores, the previous Oakland Raiders head coach, that was the guy that I wanted the most into the Hall of Fame. Never understood why. He was a winning player. He won a Super Bowl. He was a winning assistant coach and a two-time Super Bowl winning head coach. But because he sat under the likes of um, kind of John Madden in terms of personalities and Al Davis in terms of the owner and the kind of the whole thing that was that was around him, he never got the credit. So great that that's due. And I think when when he had, when he was kind of had the knock on his door, it was it wasn't one of um, utter joy. It was more of relief and kind of you know you've taken your time. I could see it in his face. It was like yeah, I'm there now. And it kind of you know a bit late. I'm glad I'm still alive that I, that I got it. Um, Calvin Johnson, the Megatron, the only guy to not win a Super Bowl in this year's um, Hall of Fame class. So well done, Calvin Johnson. John Lynch, the the safety, who's now doing an incredible job as a as a GM in the 49ers, um, part of that original Tampa Bay legacy. Um, Bill Nunn, not a lot of you would have heard of Bill Nunn, but this was a guy who was a a journalist. He ran a he, he was one of the first black newspaper owners um, black, back many, many years ago, back in the, the, the 50s and 60s. And he, he went up to the Pittsburgh Steelers and said, you are not recruiting from um, historic black colleges. You know, why aren't you doing this? There is an incredible lot of talent here. So the Steelers turned around and went, all right, do you want a job with us? And he's like, yeah, all right, then I'll have a job. What happens? Six Super Bowls later, he is part of a a Pittsburgh Steelers franchise that won six Super Bowls, arguably the greatest single draft in NFL history he was part of with, um, I think there was four Hall of Famers picked in one draft. So incredible job to Bill Nunn. Fortunately, he's passed away, but it's great that we're celebrating his legacy. Drew Pearson, who won a Super Bowl with the Cowboys, um, the original number 88, as Michael Irving calls him, and also the guy who is, is actually known for the first person to catch the first Hail Mary. The Hail Mary is actually named after Drew Pearson. So fantastic job there. And then to, to top off the class, Charles Woodson, the guy who posed as the Heisman when he was in Michigan and did an incredible job as a, as a cornerback and a returner and then went on to, to win a ring. And he broke his arm as a as he moved from cornerback to safety with the Packers, broke his arm. And I kind of that's the my abiding memory of him. He's standing there in the second half as Aaron Rodgers was doing an incredible job and he's there in his sling. So yeah, I, I remember when Charles Woodson was drafted. So God, I feel old. But fantastic class. Absolutely, absolutely outstanding class. And it was great that I managed to interview one of the one of the folks that's on that 49-person committee. So if you haven't had a chance, have a listen to my interview with Jason Cole, where we talk about, amongst other things, the Hall of Fame. Mm, yeah, the second part of that, obviously, the, the first part that was put out on Saturday was more uh, Super Bowl-related. The, the, the other half will be put out uh, will be put out next week. Um, I did have a joke about Bill Nunn, saying that I didn't know him and I, I knew his sister, but it's kind of moved on now. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll uh, yeah we'll move on um do, 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 do. yeah so i'll just run through all the other results mvp was uh, aaron Rodgers, offensive player of the year Derek henry defensive player of the year aaron donald uh, comeback player of the year alex smith no surprises there rookies chase young and justin herbert got the uh yeah i thought you might got the uh, equivalent for their their sides of the ball and then coach of the year uh, kevin stefanski and assistant coach of the year brian dable over there in buffalo so those are the awards again we can talk about those in the off season if we so desire but so uh, we, we ran down now obviously we just ticked over the hour mark uh, just some final thoughts gents uh, winner and loser for the nfl season as a whole um i'll start off with a winner and a loser so my winners um i, I, I was going to say matt lafleur to 
just purely because because of the fact that he you know, many people two years ago uh, when they got to the championship game said they were frauds. So to to cement going back to the championship game, I think you have to kind of say they are kind of winners uh, in the sense that they've it wasn't kind of a fluke. Uh, and then losers, Kieran and Clavier is I think probably New England Patriots considering what Tom Brady and all the rest of the guys have done. Uh, in Tampa, but also just the fact that it's the first losing season for 20 years. Uh, you kind of have to be a loser because you had a losing record. So, oh, I don't know where Sean's gone. Sean's been and gone. Steelers were the biggest losers this season, in my opinion. Yeah, well, I, don't, I didn't want to steal everyone else's. So, do you, yeah, you, you go, we go give, a, give us a winner and give us a loser. Uh, winner, I'll say Justin Jefferson, just because I know he didn't win Rookie of the Year, and this is going to sting Sean that I say this very quickly. He beat Randy Moss's records. Justin Herbert beat Baker Mayfield's. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> he is the biggest winner of the season. Name me another rookie who's having his roots played as highlights. I'll wait. Uh, probably Ocho Cinco, actually. Uh, so the Bengals hat down there. But yeah, biggest loser was the Steelers because they had such a great start and then got absolutely exposed when they played a team that knew what they were doing. So take that into the offseason, Juju, Corvette, Corvette. What um what college was Justin Jefferson? LSU, my friend. Yeah, moving on. <laughs> uh, Lawrence, winner and a loser. I'm I'm going to have to um level up with the comeback player of the year. I think with with Alex Smith, it's just an incredible okay. story. And even though my my love for Washington may have diminished, the the respect I have for what Alex Smith managed to achieve this season is um just just phenomenal and if you if anyone's seen the espn documentary and and just seen his he, honestly his his leg looks like kind of something that you'd see in the terminator so for him to come back play and have uh i think his record was five and one this season before he kind of went went a little bit injured for a slightly dif- different reason at the end of the season so yeah alex smith there uh, um incredible job yeah, I'd say I, I struggled with the winner for a little bit because I, I thought Alex Smith's an obvious one, but I did want to uh, steal your thunder there. Sean, give us a winner, give us a loser. Uh, loser for me, probably tight one between the Eagles and the Texans. Um, I'd probably say the Texans, though, because you've gone from 12 months ago being in the playoffs, being 20-odd points up against Casey and all everything looking rosy in the garden to, you know, here we are 12 months later, what was it? Four and twelve record. No draft picks until the third round. Your franchise quarterback wants out. I mean, you know, let's face it. I looked at the, I looked at the odds for next year's Super Bowl. They're the rank outsiders at two hundred to one. They ain't got a pot to piss in. Yeah, I'm I'm really really not surprised. I think yeah, from probably would say them in terms of the massive fall from grace. I think like I said, the Eagles equally bad, and and obviously everything that happened there with the quarterback situation. I think in terms of the winners. Rewind the clock back 22, 23 weeks, fellas. We didn't know if we were going to watch a game of football at all this year. I think we have been the biggest winners in all of this throughout this last 22, 23 weeks. It's been a massive escape for all of us. Certainly for me personally, I think I've probably appreciated and enjoyed this season more than any. Um, You know, certainly... Speaking on a personal level, and I know Tim, you'll echo these thoughts, loved being able to bring coverage week in, week out, podcasts, articles. You know, love the fact that we put back into the game in this country, um, you know, and hopefully you, the fans, recognise that and appreciate that. You know, that's what we do it for. That's what we love. It's not for any personal game. We know there's a lot of others out there that are putting stuff out there, um, you know, and we love and support them all, um, you know, but we desperately want to just put back into the game in this country through the schemes that we run, um, you know, and massively proud to be a part of it. And just like I say, for me, the biggest winners in all of this have been the NFL fans and the league have done a fabulous job to get a full season completed. Let's just keep everything crossed that we get a regular or semi-regular off-season and 2021 can be even better. Hopefully we get some international games. That would be a massive, massive bonus. And uh, yeah, I think football has been the biggest winner, mate, in 2020. Mm, On to the XFL. (laughs) Uh, You know, 
frightfully excellent indeed. Um, yeah, like I say, obviously the season is done now, so we'll have a few bits, obviously, from some takeaways and some some bits, obviously, recapping and some talking points coming out of the game. That'll be with you this week. And say, Lawrence and uh, Kieran has a couple of podcasts as well that I need to edit and stick out. And like I say, Jason Cole's have a heartfelt interview. Look out for that as well. Uh, but that's going to do it for today's podcast. Thanks for joining us, whether it's been just today, whether it's been the whole season. Obviously, we appreciate every, every single comment that's been in the box, not just for today, but all season long. Uh, we, we will continue through the off season. Might take a little bit of a break because we need to kind of just reset and re go again and see what we need to put out there. So keep your eyes peeled. We'll have competitions and, uh, like I say, we'll be uh, say Kieran and the college guys um, have some stuff coming up, and we'll be looking forward to the draft as well, which we'll obviously have crossover ties with. But that's going to do it for today's podcast. We'll see you again very soon, indeed. In the great words of Kevin Cadle, it's a bye bye for now. A bye bye. <laughs> 